Hi, this is Mark. Hello, this is Matt. And welcome to our podcast, Lessons from the Field, where we talk with staff members from the Austin Independent School District about teaching and learning in our community. Our discussions focus on various education topics and how they impact and empower teachers and students. Hi, everyone. It's Lessons from the Field again. And Matt, I am so glad you are back with us today. I am back, Mark. I took a little bit of a hiatus, but uh, it was definitely a wonderful experience. Um, I was on the campus of Harris Elementary for three weeks. And so um, I just want to say a a special shout out to the staff and students there for having me and making me feel welcome. And so that was a wonderful time and a wonderful opportunity to get to learn about how things operate on an elementary campus right now. So it was really exciting. Excellent. Excellent. For those of you that have been following our podcast, you might remember for the start of the school year, we were really focusing on central office staff. And we're now starting to shift to our campus-based staff. And we have a, I believe, fifth grade teacher that's joining us today. And so, Lori, I'm going to go ahead and invite you at this point to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, I'm Lori Salome. I'm a fifth grade math teacher at Hill Elementary. And this is my sixth year in AISD and my 18th year teaching. And I am um, uh, original second to profession from the field of advertising oh, wow. and then also got my graduate degree in instructional design and so I am very passionate about all of the craziness that's happening to us right now in this virtual learning environment it's kind of the best and the worst it's it's the best of times and the worst of times <laughs> as they would say so lots of opportunities I'm sure yes definitely and I didn't realize you were in advertising before so I'll be real curious in our discussions today, I would imagine that gives you a kind of a cool, unique perspective in the classroom. I love it. I say this all the time when people ask me why I left that profession to go into teaching. And I will tell them teaching is essentially marketing and advertising. (laughs) You're really trying to get your target audience. You need to understand them. You're trying to lure them in at every turn. And so it's pretty amazing how much those fields are related, even though people usually don't think of them as being related to each other. For sure. I never would have thought of that. Are you a native Austinite, native Texan? I am native El Pasoan, El Paso, El Paso (laughs) Brown. Um, And I've been in Austin since 1990. So I feel almost like a native Austinite, but um, definitely born and raised in Texas. Oh, very cool. That's very interesting. Uh, and it's it's always fascinating to see how people get into education. And so I know from the time I had the opportunity to spend in your classroom, we we're doing some filming, um, you, you did mention the, the advertising thing. And so that's, that's always really cool. So to begin our conversation today for our podcast episode, I'm kind of just wondering about a general overview of how teaching is going in your classroom right now. Obviously, we are in a different time, uh, being that we're almost halfway through the school year. And so kind of just wondering what your thoughts are about how this teaching environment has kind of evolved for you since the very beginning of the school year. You know, as I mentioned, like I'm trying, and I think we all are trying to just look for any glimmerings of, (laughs) of hope 
and just positive changes that are occurring amidst the fallout of so much change and so much disruption and such a steep learning curve. And so I think that the very, very beginning of all this, I felt really confident that I was going to be fine with it because I had been spending all of those years at UT studying instructional technology. I thought like, I've got everything I need. Like my, my suitcase is packed. Like I was kind of ready for this to happen. And so I very falsely assumed at the very beginning, like I'm talking about the August timeframe. And even in the spring, I was like, oh, I can handle this. I'm ready for this. And I think I just didn't really anticipate how intense it was going to be and how much of a learning curve it was going to be, even though I felt like I had the technology base, it was not as helpful as I expected it to be when I'm trying to troubleshoot so much that is out of my control, like network issues and the way that different software and hardware interfaces with each other. I uh, a bit naively assumed that I was like going to be ready to kind of unroll the technology side would be the easy part and the pandemic part would be the hard part. And as it turned out, it was all hard. <laughs> and so it was definitely like I had some moments at where in, in August, I was feeling like, okay, I can, I can do this. And then I did that same thing that teachers do every beginning of the school year where you have a dramatic slump. And now I think I'm kind of back on my feet again, <laughs> just like a regular school year when you're looking toward the winter break and thinking I can make it two more weeks. <laughs> and so it is a lot like the normal cycle of a school year, but it is just so different and so much more intense. And there's so much learning and so much change happening that it is at times pretty overwhelming. But that said, it also has been where I've been joking with my partner that I could probably get a job doing like a million different things right now, because I am learning so much about networks, about the way that technology interfaces, how to troubleshoot at a very like micro level that I've never had to do before. And so I do feel like I'm learning a lot, but it's just not without the cost <laughs> of like the stress and the pain that comes along with learning this much in this short amount of time. So Lori, can you tell us a little bit more about the use of technology and how you're utilizing that for instruction, whether I'm not sure with your fifth grade class, how many of the students are in person, how many of the students on Zoom and what that looks like when you're instructing in the classroom. I have just gotten really lucky in the way that our numbers have fallen out and the way that our staffing has worked on my team. And so how I'm doing it with my co-teacher is we both, we have 157 students for fifth grade. We usually have them split into teaching trios. And instead of splitting them, my math counterpart and I are actually co-teaching all of the kids together. And so we are alternating days. So one of us does virtual. I do virtual Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I do in-person learners on Tuesday, Thursday. And she's doing the opposite of that. And that shift to the schedule has like changed my life pretty much because before when I was trying to do both at one time, I don't know if it's my own attentional problems, but I was not surviving. <laughs> and so now I feel like I'm in a spot where I can really focus head on on the virtual learners when I'm with the virtual learners. And then when I'm with the in-person learners, 
learners. I'm just with the virtual, like in-person learners, in-person doing some of the stuff that isn't really technology related that the kids are really hungry for, like old school stuff, dry erase boards, and some of that stuff that I think is good, like concrete teaching, but we don't get to do very much of. I've been really enjoying the opportunity to do that with the face-to-face learners. So we have 157 fifth graders and we've got about 60 of them that are in person. So we've got about a third of the group that are choosing to be face-to-face. And so we're kind of toggling things that way. For me, I found that that has been wonderful. It's been like the best change that's ever happened. And that's barely happened just about two weeks ago, but it's been pretty dramatic how much better I feel like I'm doing teaching wise. Now that I know what kind of what my days are going to look like and like what I'm trying to accomplish. And I'm able to do that without the distraction of the other group of kids needing me for a totally different environment. And so that's been really awesome. Yeah. So that's a very unique setup. And I, when, when you described it again, when I went out to your campus to film, I was really honestly blown away at how you and your team were able to structure the way that the kids were learning. I, even for me, I, when I looked at your computer screen and I saw all those kids' faces, I was just blown away. I'm like, I don't know how you do that. I mean, there were, I mean, people out there listening to the podcast. I don't know. How many students did you have in that one class that one day? Was it like over 50? Yeah. We usually have about, well, now that we have more and person, we usually have about 50. But at the time that you came, it was more like 60 ish kids per class. Um, yeah, so that that's incredible that I mean, I, I can't even imagine having to teach that many kids on a, you know, on a Zoom call. It is funny. Like, I think that like, I got lucky with the way the students worked out. I have a great group of families and kids that are really great to work with and our staffing the way that that's worked out. I feel like I got lucky. But another way I got lucky is I actually like the Zoom teaching, which I know is not a very common like thing, but for my own learning style and my own like attention problems, I've really enjoyed being in my own space in a quiet, my own space with the setup exactly how I need it to be without feeling like I'm being physically disrupted. And so I'm really able to zone in on those kids. And I also really like the extroverted part of teaching. And I feel like that part goes well with Zoom classes because you have to be so much more engaging that it really is like a totally different set of <laughs> set of skills that you need to kind of manage that. But I actually really enjoy the big Zoom class. I've had a lot of fun migrating over to the virtual learning. So much so, and I know this is not like a common opinion, but I'm like, man, when this is over, I hope that there is a chance to continue to do this in some way, shape or form, just because I feel like I'm able to really mix a lot of different software together really readily uh, and then execute it in a really smooth way for the kids. And so I feel like I'm in my groove and I'm in my natural pace when I'm actually working in the Zoom classes, which I know it sounds crazy, but I do feel like I almost feel like it's more natural for me in some regards than the in-person learning, which I know no is not that normal, but I kind of like it. Yeah. So that's an interesting take on that. And so, which is going to lead me to my next question. So I'm wondering if you could just 
share with our audience some of the techniques or procedures or processes that you use for engaging students, um, both in that online and face-to-face environment at the same time? Oh, you know, I do, like, I'm like, I just thought of this right now, but this is a great place to talk about this because there's a newish app that I don't know if you saw, but they had done a little article for my classroom and it was like, it's called Mm-hmm, and it's an app for the corporate world primarily, and it is to help your Zooms be more engaging, and I am in love with this tool. I use it all the time, and it is such a fast, neat way to make it happen, and since it was in beta, it was free, and then now that it's still kind of fresh and new, you can email them to their education account to get free access, and I don't know how long that will be going on, but I think for educators, it will be for at least through this little stretch of the pandemic. But that's one app that has just been phenomenal for the student engagement part. And so one of the things that I like to do a lot of, like too much of, people might say, students students might definitely say too much, is I love to make like little commercials for whatever it is that I'm trying to teach or um, what I'm trying to get them to do. And so I shifted. It took me a while. So let's not pretend that I started this right away because it took me like a month of pain before I finally shifted. But I finally shifted into, wait a second, I'm trying to get them to open their inbox and read and listen to what I'm going to say. We cannot have a text article five paragraphs long for a kid who has a 504 plan who isn't attending and engaging. I need something snappy and weird and different and engaging. And so (laughs) you could take a peek at my little YouTube channel if you would like to be disturbed. And I never even had a YouTube channel channel before this because I'm kind of against all of that. But let's just say that I have shifted in that area too, where I'm like, I'm against that. And now I'm like, I'm not against it. I actually need my YouTube channel. And I love what it has done for the classroom because now I just record a very quick little snippet and it doesn't take me long. But the way that that app allows me to make it engaging and kind of weird looking, I can change my coloring. I can change my background and do a bunch of neat things like that. And then I just record it and then I send it to the kids done and done and I can just say see attach a video and they get a big kick out of it because they are very strange like there's rapping and there's I don't even know what's coming out of me because I do feel like it's kind of a mix a creative outlet for myself for like stress release I feel like I'm much more creative than normal and I do think it's like related to the environment the stressful environment is my body's like trying to do something about the environment. And then for the kids, it's just so nice to give them something that makes them laugh and makes them happy. And we're all so in a pressure cooker right now that I told my partner one day, I'm like, you know what? I have a new goal for this school year. And it is that the only thing I care about is that the kids are smiling when they either get something from me or when they're in the class. If I can get smiling, that is all that I care about right now. I don't care about fractions or decimals or all these things that I've cared about for all my teaching years, I honestly am like, that's the side note. Right now, I just want you to be like engaged. I want you to feel like you're part of the community of our classroom. I want you to be excited and curious about what is going to happen in class. And so I've really been capitalizing on that. And it has helped. I made a, I've been making these weird must-do assignments that are like scary stories where I'll be like, do you want to hear a scary story? But then as it goes on, it's just math problems. But they're like, I do. I do want to hear a story. And it's just sweet because you can tell they're 
quite starved for the social interaction, like we all are. And so they're extra for fifth grade. They're extra eager, extra excited, and really positive, almost easier to engage in that regard than they've ever been because they're just hungry for that kind of stimulation. In that regard, I've just been having so much fun because almost every time I make something, I'm like, oh, I might need to make a little commercial for that. Or like, I might need to make a little wrap. And like, I always posit it to them like, this is going to be really cringy and disturbing. Here we go. And they're like, it is disturbing and it is cringy, but yet it is interesting and different and it's very personal. And I think that because everything that I'm putting out has been really personal, I think it's made my class and I connect with each other more than normal for a virtual environment because they know all about all sorts of stuff that's going on with me because of the way that it's like a multimedia expression to them. And it's kind of cute because I'm getting some of that back from them. So I'll get a video back from a kid or the kid will take something I made and then mix it, remix it to make it their own and change it. And I just love that for the creative stuff. That's been just delightful, which is says a lot (laughs) because everything else has been so intense and bad. But I'm telling you in the creative land, I feel like I'm in like in a jackpot area and I'm really clinging on to that for the cathartic helpfulness of letting the creativity kind of be a medicine for myself and for the students. I came across that article that you were referring to, Lori, I think maybe on Twitter or something. One of, But Matt, I think I want to try and find that. We'll include that in the show notes. It's pretty cool. I got to see those YouTube videos that you're talking about. I, we're on a Zoom call, so our listeners won't be able to see, but the excitement in your face about this is, is pretty awesome. And I would imagine that, you know, Matt asked about engagement and the way you're doing this is also with building those relationships because you're approaching content in a way that the kids can digest it maybe better than, like you said, text. It's a different mm-hmm. way. It's multimedia and, and different things like that. And I think that's probably, you know, very, very powerful in the classroom. The other piece, Lori, is this ties back to your advertising that you <laughs> talked about because you're making these commercials. And I'm making uh, commercials. Right? <laughs> and so I, that just popped into my head. I'm like, oh yeah, I can see the advertising in it right now. We're going to get excited about fractions, kiddos. <laughs> Well, it's funny because like at the beginning of the year, we didn't know. I mean, I've been teaching for 18 years and I did not know what I needed to do to make the kids successful. And let me tell you, I wasn't doing it. I was thinking the kids are writing down what I'm saying. Like we're all doing it. I did not know that I needed to be like, get your notebook out guys and actually get a notebook. Most of them didn't even have a notebook. I didn't really think to press it on them. And once we realized like, oh my gosh, nobody's even writing anything down. No wonder we're not getting better at long division. No one's writing down anything. And so we had been harassing them about the notebook, but it wasn't really making an effect. And then you might've seen this in that article, but I made the silliest video where I was saying that I wanted them to like get married to their notebook. Like, I'm like, we're going to commit to your notebook guys. And like, I'm like, get your notebook and give it a name. And I'm like, this notebook's name is Gertrude McRollicks, which I don't even know where that came from in my brain. But now in class, I kid you not, Gertrude, 
Jude McRollett, that word comes up at least three to five times every class period ever since then. And then I'll say like, guys, get your Gertrude out, you know, get, let me see your McRollicks. And they like hold their notebook up and they'll like, tell me what their notebook's name is in the chat. And so we kind of wrap the to-do, which was get a notebook and write in it into the narrative of something a little more imaginative and a little more creative. And I'm telling you, they bit. Before that, they were not biting. And then all of a sudden, when I'm like, give your notebook a name and they're like, oh my gosh, this is kind of fun. And they like somehow did attach to their notebook. And then suddenly their math got better because they were actually writing stuff down and doing it. And so I do think that kind of wrapping some of these menial, painful tasks that involve the technology into something that sounds a little bit more fun can be really powerful. And it isn't really much work. It wasn't more work. It was actually less work because all I did was make this silly video. And now it's kind of taken on a life of its own. And the kids will say like, I filled up a notebook. And so Walter now has Walter Jr. And like, they're like saying weird things about their notebooks, babies, and like their notebooks, partners. And so it's just kind of neat. And it all came from a wild idea. It wasn't something I was aiming to do. It was just something that kind of organically came out of the creativity that's going in. And so that's been really neat. Lori, you've kind of alluded a little bit to this, but I'm wondering if you could share a little bit more, elaborate on some of the challenges that you've experienced here this fall that you're comfortable sharing, whether that's strictly in the virtual or with a mix or different things like that. What are some of the realities that were challenges for you? I mean, the biggest one, and I think I mentioned this, Matt, when you came up to the school. So I had like the August time where I was like confident it was going to be okay. And then when school first started, I thought I was going to die for about three weeks. And then I got my feet on the ground and I was really starting to get momentum. And right when that happened was when we had to return to campus. So it felt really weird to me to be back in the building. And then once I got back in the building, the multitasking of the troubleshooting of all of the kids' devices and my device, which doesn't work well up at school. So I would be in the classroom and I would be doing my Zoom class, but all the kids in my room weren't in my class at the time. And they were like in PE class. I think the day Matt came, I had some kids that were in PE and some that were in music. And so kids are doing burpees and then other kids are singing into their computer. And meanwhile, I'm trying to concentrate, but I'm like, I cannot focus at all with someone doing burpees two feet away from me. And so for me, my palms get sweaty even thinking about it. During that whole era, I mostly just felt like I was almost going to have like a nervous breakdown. I just felt really overstimulated and like ineffective in both environments because online I could tell that I was like getting disrupted so much that the kids online couldn't get my attention but then the kids in person were having so many computer problems I would look up and there would be a line of kids holding their computers coming over to me and I'm like oh my gosh (laughs) Calgon take me away and like at one point I had like two kids I had a laptop on each knee and I had my computer and I was zooming but I had kids in the room as well. And I mean, I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. I felt like I did not have enough of me to do what I was trying to do. So I had like a period there where I wasn't sure how long I was going to be able to make it. (laughs) And then things shifted again, which they're going to do all year is what I've decided that I'm going to just get my mind wrapped around as soon as I get comfortable, something's going to change. But then our schedule kind of changed. And when the fifth grader 
years came back, we had some agency to manage the schedule in a way that would allow me, I'm still going up to campus, but I was going in an empty classroom so that I could also teach unencumbered. And the problem with being in the classroom and doing the job is that you're trying to be engaging online. And so you're basically like, I joke, sometimes I call myself Joe Rogan. Sometimes I call myself Ellen DeGeneres. I'm like, whatever big podcast person, like the person that's like, I've got a huge job to do on this podcast and I've got to make it happen. So you're trying to be engaging, but yet you're trying not to engage everyone that's sitting around you is a very weird job. So once I got to a point where I could do the online job, full on, loud, music, all the things that I wanted to do to make it like an actual enriching online experience, then things got dramatically better. All of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, I can do this. And my feet are on the ground and like my health is coming back and all of that. And so I do think that the biggest challenge was that little era, because I think that a lot of people will say that online learning is not effective, but I disagree. I do. I think it can be. And I think it is. And I think it's just a very new field. Even at UT, that degree plan is not that old. And I think that it's just that we need time to get good at it. But one thing I know I get, I get passionate, but I just feel (laughs) like I want online learning to have a chance. I want it to have a chance. And I want people to see that it can be done well, and it can be engaging. And I just hope that we can get an environment where we can make that happen so that we can show kids and families and administrators and other teachers that there are tricks of the trade, just like in the classroom that you learn as you're in the classroom for a while. And you're like, oh my gosh, I have all these tricks up my sleeve. You begin to get that same kind of resource bag with your online teaching too. It just takes time like it did when we first started teaching. And so I'm just hopeful that at some point, like I just hope that we can be online learning long enough so that we can get our feet on the ground so that people can begin to get eyes open to the possibility of it being pretty cool. Some of the stuff that you can do that you can't necessarily do in the face-to-face world. Yeah. So that's so interesting because, and we do thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing, you know, exactly um, the challenges and, and of course the opportunities that you've had during this time. So to kind of sort of wrap our, our conversation today. So if you could go back in time and I'm I'm talking like maybe even back as far as last March mm-hmm. and what do you wish that you would have known prior to this whole whole teaching and learning thing shifting to fully online and then coming back to a concurrent teaching model. I think one of the most powerful things that I've learned that I wish I would have just started, you know, hindsight is 2020, but there are a lot of technology tools and software that kind of bridge the gap between our district LMS blend and the teacher and student interface. And I think that there are some ways to make blends power more user-friendly for students and for teachers. And I think that has to do with kind of getting mastery over softwares that kind of bridge those two things. And so I feel like at the beginning of all this, I was really trying to blend heavy design in blend. And as I progress, I have learned that while yes, I need to be in blend and I need to be using blend. It's awesome. It's It has great privacy. It has great capability. And I found that by supplementing my blend 
Dreamforce with those other softwares, it has made it so much faster to create. And it's also made for a more user-friendly experience for the kids. And then also, as I mentioned at the beginning, I was just really not as skilled with screencasting and compressing videos and finding ways to get videos in a place that's usable for the kids. And now almost every time I give them an assignment, there's some sort of directions, oral or video from me that I can now do really quickly, but I didn't do that at the beginning. So if I could go back in time, I think I would have thought more about what I'm trying to accomplish and then selected the tool to do it instead of selecting a tool and then trying to force it into doing the job I needed to get done. And then I think just in general, this is good. I, you know, they always talk about growth mindset. I am notorious for my fixed mindset. I get made fun of by all my friends and family. Like I have the, a fixed mind, like I get my mind fixed and it is on. And so really I'm still working on this, just trying to appreciate the learning from the falling on our faces over and over again. And I do think that w- by the time it's said and done, we'll look back and realize that we've learned so much. It's just a matter of like being gentle on ourselves. <laughs> when it blows up in the face, I have not always been that patient or I have not always focused on the benefits of the learning that come from the mistakes, even though in my classroom, that's what I tell the kids all the time. In fact, in my actual classroom, you might've seen this. I have like my little newspapery billboard artsy thing that says mistakes are the portal to discovery. And I'm always preaching that to the kids. Oh, it's a portal to discovery mistake. But in my own learning and teaching, I am not very good at that. So I think if I could go back and do it all again, I would just like write myself a note that says mistakes are the portal to discovery. And I would put the billboard in my home and I would look at it and make myself say it 10 times a day because I do think that we are all learning and changing so much. But I also am really hopeful that when this is all said and done, we're going to have like a lot of cool changes to education. And I just can't help but feel that that is going to happen. Like it just has to. So I'm going to try to look forward to that. I love that. Absolutely. Mistakes are the portal to discovery. And oh, for sure. I love that. Lori, we're going to shift thinking completely for a couple of questions here. And so Mm -hmm. I don't want you to think too hard about these, but I'm curious to know when we know it is 100% safe, scientifically proven, we don't have to wear a mask, we don't have to physically distance. What's the first Mm -hmm. thing you're looking forward to doing? I do love to travel and I love the excitement of like crowds and people. And I'm just missing getting out of my little tiny bubble. So I would say that is the thing that I am most excited about, like getting out of this town and going somewhere far, far away and seeing a bunch of people on some kind of crowded bus in some weird city. Like, yes, that's what I would like to do. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. My next curiosity for you is what is your favorite Austin restaurant? You know, I don't know right now because I am so pandemic life adjusted, but I would say that the Via 313 pizza is what gets me through many a week these days. So I'm going to go with that. I'm going to go with, we just hop on the bikes and we pop over to Via 313 pizza. And then sometimes we feed off of it for several days and it's always delicious. And so I'm going to go with that one. The Detroit style pizza. Okay. Yes. It's it's delicious. Absolutely. Absolutely. My final question, Lori, before I turn it back over to Matt is where's your favorite place to get a taco in Austin? Oh no, that is another heated question. <laughs> um, mm, I like the taco joint. I don't live anywhere near my school. I'm kind of Southeast. And so our usual haunts will be 
the taco joint or Juan and a million. Oh yeah, absolutely. All right, Lori. Well, thank you so much again today for um, engaging in conversation with Mark and I, and we do thank you for your time. So to finish out this episode recording for today, um, one of the things that we always invite our guests to do is to just share some inspirational words um, to our audience that might be listening. Um, I'm just smiling. I know no one can see that because this is a podcast, but I'm smiling big because I think it's so funny that someone is asking me this question because I feel like I have not been my best self through all of this. So I'm like, it's so funny. Someone's asking me for like positive words. Okay, I'm going to give you some. I would say that for me, I think because things are so tense and not just with schooling and pandemic, but just like politically everywhere, everything is so tense that people are a little more prone not to speak up because I think they're afraid of getting combative with someone. And so it's often that I think that we're not sharing with each other as much as we might normally be. And I think if we were sharing with each other, we would know that there are a lot of us that are feeling the same way. And I think that would make us all feel better because I feel like I almost got to a better spot when I was really at my worst because I was so bad that I would just tell anyone. I was just like, anyone that would listen to me, I'll tell you. And then I found that there were other people feeling the same way. And I think that because of that, it just makes you feel like you're more part of a community, whether that's with the district or with your classroom or whatever, being part of something makes it feel better. And then the other thing I would say is that for me, it's been focusing on the creative part, like doing something creative and different because we can, because the environment is all disrupted. So this is a chance to kind of break the rules a little in that regard in like a creative way. And then also focusing on the kids. So whenever I have been like, I cannot do this another second, I just open my little Zoom class and I see my little faces and I just think, you know what? I am going to do this because this is the reason that I'm going to. And I do think that's part of what makes teachers feel so stressed right now is that we do want to do what's best for the families that we're trying to serve. And so it's a lot. But I think knowing that everyone is feeling that way kind of makes it feel a little better. So maybe I would just end with saying to any other teacher that's listening to this, I told, I hear you and I feel you and I have been there and we are going to get through this. And hopefully when it's all said and done, we will have some like better teaching tricks up our sleeve that we can use for the rest of time <laughs> because it's bound to get easier. Like it just can't get harder. It's going to get easier. So I'm kind of putting my money on that. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please be sure to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. These podcasts are produced by the Professional Learning Department of the Austin Independent School District. Follow us on Twitter at AustinISDPL. Until next time, stay safe, my friends.